so much, praise team, for leading us this morning. You can come back at 10.30 if you want to do this a second time. And I welcome those of you that are on live stream as well this morning. You know, of all the many things I enjoy about being a pastor, one that is very rewarding is helping couples prepare for marriage. Uh, Pastor Hank and I use a professionally scored program that the couple uses that gives to us a 25-page printout and report on their relationship at the time they took the report. And it goes into everything about marriage. Uh, their beliefs, their communication, their conflict resolution abilities, their relatives, uh, I mean just everything that you can think of. And because the data is right there in front of us, we can talk about all the issues that are needed for a strong marriage. You know, sometimes we discover that couples already have problems. And during those sessions, they will bring those problems out on the table. And what a pleasure to be able to talk through those issues with them. Do you know, after five or six, one and a half hour sessions, when we stand before them at their wedding, we have become good friends. Oh, it's such a joy. And then they know that if they have future problems in their marriage, that they can return to their pastor who loves them dearly. You know, there's another benefit of that, and that is during those sessions, Ellen gets elevated treatment in our marriage. Uh, I'm not kidding. I tell couples that. I say to them, you know, I'm like everyone else. I forget the things I should be doing in marriage. I fall back into bad habits. And Ellen pays the price for that. So when I'm counseling a couple, I'm actually also counseling myself. And I say to the couple, we are in this together, and you are helping my marriage. And boy, does Ellen really like that. Say, by the way, if we ever get to the place where she says, don't you need to counsel another couple again? I know I'm in a little bit of trouble. Now this morning, we want to come back to the counsel of God's word about marriage. And I want to bring a message this morning entitled, Practical Implications of the Covenant of Marriage. Last Sunday, we saw that marriage is built on a covenant between a man, a woman, and God. And there are some very practical implications that are for our marriages that come from that. And so I want to look at those implications here with you this morning. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 2 again, because this is where we are going to look together at what these implications are. Now remember the first one last week. Marriage is your most important relationship. If you're married here today, you have a relationship that is primary above all others, and that relationship is your marriage. Uh, a few years ago, Pastor Hank and I were at the very last pastor's conference at Moody Bible Institute. Uh, Joe Stoll, pre president of Cornerstone University, was one of the speakers, and in his message he said, your wife and, your and the Lord are the only ones that are going to go with you all the way. 
So he said, you make sure you take care of your wife. Pastor Hank and I looked at each other as we were sitting there and we nodded our heads because that had the ring of truth. But it's interesting, as I've been studying the Bible about this, I've said to myself, by golly, Pastor Stoll was right. Look at verse 24 and notice what it says. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, and of course, the wife will do the same thing. So this says in marriage, you leave your father and your mother. This is God's intention. God intends that your spouse is the primary one who is going to go with you all the way in your life. Now, as we saw last Sunday, when you get married, you become a new family unit. That unit is based on a kinship covenant, and therefore it becomes your primary relationship. And what you did with your parents and your family when you got married, your children are to do with you when they get married. Now, this word leave here in verse 24 is a very strong word. It means to forsake, to abandon. It means to leave behind. And we want to be very clear here. It is not the responsibility to our parents, but it is the relationship with our parents. We are to honor our mother and our father throughout our entire life. In fact, the Bible says if we don't take care of them at the end of their lives when they need care or make sure that they get care, we're worse than an unbeliever. So it is not the responsibility here, but the point that's being made is the relationship with our parents and family now becomes secondary. Do you know that is the same with our children as well? Did you know that? Our relationship with our kids, when we get married and have children, is now secondary. And the relationship with each other, our spouse, is primary. If you were fortunate enough to be raised in a family where your parents' relationship was the most important relationship in the house, you know how blessed you were. You know what a blessing that was. And you want to pass on that same legacy to your children. I'll never forget when I was about 10 years of age, I was at my buddy's house and we were playing. We were in his bedroom. And I remember it so vividly because what he said shocked me. This is what he said. We were 10 years old. He said, I think my parents are going to get a divorce. They're arguing all the time. And it's the first time I can recall somebody using that word. And I recall the worry, the concern, the apprehension as my buddy confided that to me. His whole world was being rocked. And I remember how I felt. I thought to myself, my parents argue too, but not all the time. And I thought they would never leave each other. That would be impossible. 
Now, fortunately, uh, his parents worked out whatever the problem was, and, and what he was afraid of never happened. But I recall how much I had peace as my buddy felt fear. I felt the opposite. I was safe because my parents' relationship came first, my world was strong. I was secure. And that's the way God intends it to be when the marriage relationship is primary and first. Now, I want to ask this morning, how can you tell if your marriage relationship is the most important relationship to you? How can you tell? How can those who just watch you as a couple, how can they tell? Well, I think one telltale answer is in your speech. It's in your speech. How you speak to one another and how you talk about one another to others says a great deal about where your marriage stands in terms of your priority relationship. I'll never forget, as I was growing up as a child, my, my dad used to say something to me on a regular basis. And to be honest with you, it sounds a little strange. But he would say this when we were together privately. So we'd be in the car traveling somewhere. Maybe we were in the house alone or out someplace in a store. And on a regular basis throughout my life, this is what he would say. He would say, you could have gotten a better father. But I don't think you could have ever gotten a better mother. By the way, what do you, what do you, how do you respond to that when you're a kid? Well, what do you say? Oh, shucks, Dad. You ain't too bad either. I mean, what do you say? And I thought to myself, why did he say that so often? You know, I think the answer is, I think he's being honest. I think he knew he had a really good woman. And he knew she had qualities that he didn't have. And it was his way of esteeming her. And you know the impact that had on me? If he keeps saying that, I must have a really good mother. And I esteemed her as well. Do you know when we would criticize my dad, my mother never joined in on that. She never put him down. She wouldn't complain about him. She would never joke or make fun about his failings. She would never belittle him behind his back, ever. And I grew up thinking, I've got a pretty good dad, despite all of his imperfections. Where did I get that from? I got it from her. From her. Listen, if your marriage is primary, your words will show it. 
and your children will experience a huge effect because they will know if mom and dad's relationship is primary, then we've got a strong family and we're secure. Now let's look at the second implication here of the covenant of marriage. Number two, your vows are what keep you committed. Your vows are what keep you committed. Verse 24 says that you are to hold fast to your wife, and your wife is to hold fast to you. Now, do you know that's another very strong word? It actually means to weld. I'm sure we've got some people here today with experience in welding. It was used of a coat of armor where sections of the armor were welded together. When Jesus quotes this verse in the New Testament, the Greek word that is used is the word for glue. It means to glue or to cement together. I tell couples this, when God joins you together in marriage, he glues you together and he uses gorilla glue. That's what I tell couples. And it's a permanent bond. And unless he approves a divorce that is sanctioned in the Bible, you are stuck for life. In fact, another use of this word means actually to be stuck to each other. And here's what I tell couples as they are getting ready to say those marriage vows to each other. I say to them in the sessions we have before those vows are said, you just decide right now that divorce is not an option. In fact, you make the decision that word will never pass your lips even in jest. If both of you love Jesus and God is in your marriage, then there's no problem that he cannot solve. Is that not true this morning? If both of you love Jesus and God is in your marriage, then there is no problem that he cannot solve. I know of a couple who separated during a very stormy time in their marriage. You know what the husband said? He said his love was gone. The wife had no idea whether or not they would reunite. But this is what she said. She said, when I said my vows, I meant them. And that became their anchor. All of us know, don't we? An anchor does not mean that you will not go through storms. What an anchor does is it holds you fast in the storm. And their vows became their anchor in that storm. Their marriage survived. And to this day, they are a very happy couple. And so what's the anchor in your marriage then? Well, very clearly, 
It is your vows to God and to one another. You know what Prof. Hendricks used to say? Renew your vows frequently, he would say. Renew your vows frequently. Probably most of us don't do that, but it would be a good thing. To find a quiet place uh, and just uh, pull out the vows that we said to each other in our marriage and read those vows to one another and then say, Honey, I still do. I still do. Do you know, that is not only good advice, it is actually what the text says. Hold fast here is a very interesting expression. It is a Hebrew verb that means habitually or customarily. So when he says, hold fast to your wife, hold fast to your husband, what he means is, do this habitually, do it repeatedly. You cling to each other through all the highs and lows, all the ups and downs, the good times and the bad times, the glad times and the mad times, you say to each other, when I said my vows, I meant them. And because you said those vows to God and each other, they hold you fast in the storms of marriage. Do you know, Ellen and I in our marriage have had times when we were under such stress and difficulty that we looked at each other and we said to one another, Satan is trying to destroy our marriage. He's trying to rip us apart. We know what he's trying to do. We're not going to let him win. And we never wavered in our commitment to each other, even though the stresses were very great. God had cleaved us together. Satan was trying to cleave us apart. And we decided we're going to choose God's plan. You know what we can do now? We can look back at those times. And those are some of the times in our marriage that we were the closest. You see, I thought 30 years ago when I said I do, I knew what love was all about. But when Satan is trying to rip your marriage apart and you experience the commitment of a faithful woman, it is in those times that you know this is what love is about. This is what love is about. And to go through those stressful times in marriage and to see that it's that commitment that holds you fast in the midst of those storms, that's when you understand real love.
real love. Now here's the third implication of marriage as a covenant. Number three, God must intentionally be invited into your marriage. God must intentionally be invited into your marriage. Just because uh, two couples, or a couple, are both Christians, does not mean they are inviting God into their marriage. You can be a Christian, and yet you can ignore God in your marriage. You have to intentionally invite him into your marriage. Um, if I were to ask some of us this morning, who introduced you to your spouse? Some of us get a big smile on our face, and we can remember exactly who introduced us to our spouse. Uh, in my case, it was an aunt who told me about Ellen. And uh, to this day, she has a lot of fun taking credit for getting us together. And to be honest with you, I'm so grateful she told me about Ellen, I can still remember the first time I met her at the cash register where she worked. I could have quoted Adam, at last, at last. And as I got to know her more and more, I could have quoted Adam all along, at last, at last. Let me ask you this question this morning. Who introduced Adam and Eve? God did, right? Verse 22 the Lord God brought her to the man. The word brought there means to introduce. This was the first introduction of a couple for marriage. But what happened after sin entered the picture? Chapter 3, verse 8. They hid from God, didn't they? Verse 9, he had to pursue them. Where are you? Now that sin had entered into the world, the natural tendency of this couple was to evade God. To evade God. Can I stop right here and say something that I, I think all of us need to hear? Are you aware that as a couple, your natural tendency is to leave God out of your marriage? Now that sin has entered the world and is a part of your life, your natural tendency is to leave God out of your marriage. You may not hide intentionally from him, but you can easily ignore him as a couple. They hid from him as a couple, and you can ignore him. As a couple, what do you do to intentionally invite God into your marriage? Well, Billy Graham used to say this. He used to say, if a couple will do three things, it will reduce their chances of divorce by 400%. When I tell young engaged couples that, they are all ears. What are those three things? Here's what Billy Graham said. 
Read the Bible together. Pray together. And attend church together. And you want to know what? When couples hear that, they're surprised. Because those are simple things that any married couple can do. You don't need a PhD in marriage to do that, do you? You don't need to be an expert. But you can do those three things. And you know what a national survey revealed? A national survey uh, of married couples revealed this. Those who attend church and pray at home, there's one divorce in a thousand marriages. So think about that. That confirms what Billy Graham said. Of a thousand marriages, the couples that attended church and prayed at home had one divorce. Ellen and I try to have a very simple practice in our lives. We're not always successful with it, but this is what we try. In the morning, before we start the day, we pray together. And usually it's a very brief prayer. Sometimes we may even have our coats on. We're, we're getting ready for the day, and we just stop, and we pray, and we acknowledge God and, and invite Him into our day. Then in the evening, before we go to bed, and many times we have our bedclothes on, we will pray together before we go to bed. And usually that's a little longer prayer because we have more time together in the evening. We're not so rushed. Now think about how simple that is. To start your day together as a couple with a very brief prayer and acknowledge God and invite Him into your day. And at the end, before you go to bed at night, spend a little more time together in prayer. See, that's a very simple thing to do, but what are we doing? We're inviting God into our marriage. That's what we're doing. And it has to be intentional. It has to be intentional. You know, somebody said, God is the only third party in marriage that can make it work. If I were to say to you this morning, how many of you want to have a third party in your marriage? I think you'd say, no, third party in marriage, not good, not good. But when that third party is God, he's the only one who can make it work. But for him to help you make it work, you have to invite him in. You have to invite him in. So do you see what marriage is? Marriage is a covenant relationship between a man, a woman, and God. You become a new family unit. It is a kinship covenant. And because that is true, your marriage is your most important relationship and others will know that and you will know that by how you talk to each other and how you talk about each other. And then when the inevitable storms come and, and maybe you say, my love is gone, maybe you separate, you don't know what the future is going to be, what will hold you fast 
is your vows that you have repeatedly and continuously affirmed to God and each other. And then because God is the only one who can make your marriage work, you intentionally invite him in. And you do that through prayer, you do that through the word of God, you do that by being a part of a church that will build you up as a couple. And that's what living in the covenant of marriage is all about. And let's just bow together now and let's thank the Lord. for his plan and let's renew our commitment to that plan. If you're here this morning and you are a married couple or you are listening via live stream. Would you, in your hearts, just quietly say to yourself and to the Lord, when I said my vows, I meant them. And I still do. And Lord, would you say, I believe that my spouse is the most important relationship that I have. And how I speak to my spouse, how others hear me talk about him or her, is a telltale sign of whether he or she is primary or not. And then say, Lord, we're both Christians. We love you. But we know our natural tendency is to leave you out of our marriage. And this day, we now intentionally determine to invite you in. Lord, you might say, maybe it'll be just a start. Sharing a verse or two together from the Bible. Having a brief prayer in the morning and maybe a little longer prayer at night. Being solidly connected to a church where we will be built up as a couple. So that, Lord, we can live in covenant relationship as you intended our marriage to be. Thank you, Father. My spouse and you are the only ones who will go with me all the way. 
I resolve to go with him or her all the way as well. For Jesus' sake, we ask it. Amen.